of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program this Monday, the 8th of May, well, mixed reactions to the weekend coronation of King Charles III, with First Nations leaders joining an international call on the new monarch to apologize for the effects of colonization. We also have a selection of stories from NITV, including one about new developments in the Northern Territory, with the approval of full-scale onshore gas production in the Betalu Basin. As you'll hear, when greenlighting the development, the Northern Territory government promised traditional owners a seat at the table and the power to halt projects on their land. Also on NITV Radio today, ultramarathon runner and former Libra MP Pat Farmer explains how his impact on a 14,500km run across Australia in support for Voice to Parliament. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. And today we are broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Bertrand Tungandami, I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Victoria's top cop apologises for police racist treatment of Aboriginal families over generations. An expansion of single-parent payments announced as the government prepares for the federal budget. And allegations superannuation funds are driving increased investment in fossil fuels. Victoria's police commissioner has apologised for the racist treatment of Indigenous people over generations by his state's police force. Shane Patton has appeared at the state's first formal truth-telling inquiry into past and ongoing injustices against Indigenous people. He says he doesn't believe the force is intentionally racist, but the policing of Indigenous people is influenced by systemic or structural racism. I'm apologising for any harms that have um, been caused to uh, Aboriginal persons by Victoria police officers where they've acted inappropriately, criminally, uh, racistly uh, or with unconscious bias uh, and have caused detriment, harm, discrimination and disadvantage to Aboriginal people. 
The inquiry is part of the state's treaty process. In the meantime, Victoria's Premier Daniel Andrews says Indigenous people should have a greater say in how taxpayer money is spent on programs intended to improve outcomes for them. His comments follow reports the role of the First People's Assembly of Victoria could widen to become similar to a statewide voice to Parliament. The Assembly is set to begin statewide treaty negotiations later this year and voting to elect 22 members gets underway next week. Prime Minister Antonio Albanese has announced single parent payments will continue until the youngest child turns 14. The payment previously ended when a single parent's youngest child turned 8. It will mean an extra $176.90 every fortnight for single parents. Mr Albanese says the increase will be essential for the future of single parent families. What the research has shown is that this is an investment. It's an investment in these families. I know firsthand what it's like to grow up uh, with a single mum uh, doing it tough. And we want to make sure that the children of single parent families have the best opportunities in life to go on and to fulfil, to aspire to a good life with good jobs, with security. More broadly, the government will spend more than $14 billion over the next four years in tomorrow night's budget to try and ease cost of living pressures. To be officially announced in tomorrow night's federal budget, the spending will include money for energy price relief, tax incentives for electrification and energy efficiency upgrades and also money to make medicine cheaper amongst other measures. In the meantime, Opposition Finance Spokesperson Jen Hume says she's concerned the federal government is not allocating enough revenue in tomorrow night's budget for budget repair as it benefits from recent increases in commodity prices and income tax. Ms. Hume says high inflation is pushing people into new tax brackets, which is creating a windfall surplus for the government. She says it's not enough for the government to simply promise its measures won't be inflationary. The fact is, unless they reduce inflation, well, any cost of living measure, any handout, any increase to welfare will simply be gobbled up. It'll be eroded by high inflation. And that's what we've seen from this government. Inflation with a seven in front of it, three quarters in a row now. And that's after the government promised when they came to government that they would reduce the cost of living. They promised when they came to government that they would see real wages increase. In fact, we've seen the exact opposite. And the federal opposition says the government has to address the impact of immigration in the upcoming budget. Opposition immigration spokesman Dan Tehan says the next the net overseas migration number of 715,000 people over the next two years will impact many areas of Australian life. What's it going to mean for congestion, for household shortages, for the rental crisis, and also what sort of impact is that going to put on interest rates which will hurt Australian households even more. The Greens are calling for the federal government to allocate $5 billion per year for public and affordable housing in tomorrow night's budget. They are also calling for a national rent freeze. Green Senator Jordan Steele-John says the government's legislation on the issue, the so-called Housing Future Fund, which would allocate $10 billion over 10 years on housing, is inadequate. He's likening the Housing Future Fund proposal to the government taking a gamble on the stock market to try and raise money for housing. 
Let's just step back for a moment and think about that as a mechanism for funding what is essentially an essential service. You wouldn't fund health or hospitals or education more broadly by putting money on the stock market and hoping the return would be enough to build schools or fund hospitals. So why would we treat housing that way? It just doesn't make sense. That's why the Greens want to see a direct investment from the government into affordable housing to actually build people the homes they need. The Greens say the government is wasting money on continuing on continuing the so-called stage three tax cuts in this budget. They say the biggest winners from this budget will be people who are already rich. Australian band Voyager have walked the turquoise carpet at the opening of festivities for this year's Eurovision Song Contest. The turquoise carpet is Eurovision's equivalent of the red carpet. This year's Eurovision is being hosted in the English city of Liverpool on behalf of Ukraine, the defending champions who would normally be hosting it if not for Russia's invasion of their country. A progressive metal band, Voyager, will compete in semi-finals with 30 other nations' participants on Wednesday and Friday to try and gain one of, th- of 20 spots in the final this weekend. Ukraine, the UK, Italy, Germany, Spain and France are automatic finalists. Voyager band member Scott Kay says he feels they are not just representing Australia but metal music as well in the competition. We're really, really lucky to be representing the Australian people and also the heavy music industry as a whole. Mm. Um, we've been playing gigs for yonks. And, yonks. Uh, yeah, we're playing the biggest one of them all. And it's a metal band from Perth, Western Australia. Who to thunk it? Here, know, we here we are. With one week to go until he faces re-election to Kiev's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, has turned his eye on his opponents at a rally in Istanbul. This election looms as Mr. Erdogan's toughest political test yet as he faces blame for an economic crisis and for issues surrounding the earthquake that hit the country in February. At the rally, Mr. Erdogan has called the main opposition candidate Kemal Kilchatoglu an alcoholic. He's also accusing opposition parties of siding with terrorists and trying to attack them by saying they are pro-gay. Aren't CHP pro-LGBT? Aren't HDP pro-LGBT? Aren't IYI Party pro-LGBT? Do the others who are at the table of alliance with them say no to these LGBT people? The AK Party have never been pro-LGBT and never will be. Mr. Erdogan's AK party has been in power since 2002. Russian Defense Ministry spokesman Igor Konashenkov says that Russian forces had captured two more districts in Bakhmut, in the western part of the city, and the northwest. According to the spokesman, the assault detachments continued to conduct offensive operations in the direction of Donetsk, Donetsk, capturing two blocks in the northwestern and western parts of the city of Artemovsk. Konashenko also claims that Russian troops shot down 22 Ukrainian drones over the Black Sea and downed 10 more across Ukrainian territory over the previous 24 hours. 
And back home, an advocacy group is claiming Australia's 30 biggest superannuation funds invested an extra $34 billion last year in the companies it says are most responsible for expanding the use of fossil fuels. The group Market Forces says that money boosted capital in companies developing coal, oil and gas projects by 50% over the past year. It estimates that more than $140 billion of Australians' retirement savings are invested in such companies. But Australia's largest superannuation fund is defending its investments. Australian Super says it has increased its exposure to Woodside Petroleum through that company's merger with the BHP. It says the gas sector in which Woodside is engaged is part of an orderly transition to renewable energy. And to sport on AFL, North Melbourne have produced a goalless first half for the first time in almost 44 years. The Kangaroos lost 34-64 to the St Kilda Saints on Sunday. North Melbourne's coach Ross Smith says his team needs improvements. We're sitting here disappointed that we didn't score more, but some of the credit's got to go to St Kilda. They make it very, very difficult for all sides in the competition to score, um, let alone a side that's, that's struggling a bit to find its way forward. And um, we just need to slowly get better. And um, you know, the fact that we were able to restrict their score too was pleasing. On the Saints bench, Rachman Rowan Marshall left the match with ice on his left ankle after Jed Gresham had already been substituted out with knee pain. Kangaroos coach Ross Lyon says both will be fit to play against Adelaide on round 9. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Brome sunny 32 degrees, Perth possible shower 25, Adelaide a shower 217, Melbourne showers increasing 15, Hobart a shower 215, Albury Wodonga mostly sunny 14, Canberra mostly sunny 13, Wollongong cloudy 17, Sydney partly cloudy 18, Newcastle similar conditions and 19 degrees, Brisbane sunny 22, Townsville mostly sunny 28, Cairns partly cloudy 20. 29, Alice Springs mostly sunny 17, Darwin sunny 34 degrees, and the Torres Strait Islands are cloudy day ahead and a top of 31 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. I am Patron Tungandame and you're listening to NITV Radio, broadcasting from NAM on the Cooling Nation this Monday afternoon. Coming up next, we have a selection of stories from NITV's NOLA program, including a story from the Northern Territory. As you'll hear, after approving full-scale onshore gas production in the Betaloo Basin, the Northern Territory government has promised traditional owners a seat at the table and the power to halt projects on their land. Also in the program today, ultramarathon runner and former Liberal MP Pat Farmer explains how he's embarked on a 14,500-kilometer run across Australia in support for voice to parliament. But first, on Saturday, the 6th of May, Charles and his wife Camilla were crowned as King and Queen of the United Kingdom and the other Commonwealth realms. But how was this elevation perceived around the globe? (music) 
People across the world have witnessed the coronation of King Charles III. Many Australians watched the ceremony both at home and in the UK as their representatives took part in the ceremony. Reaction to the coronation has been mixed with others believing it's time Australia becomes a republic. First Nations leaders have joined an international call on the new monarch to apologise for the effects of colonisation. Katrina Stirrat reports. Mixed reactions for the new king. There won't be a republic, for sure. We all love the royal family. People hate to admit it, but we all love them. Uh, the Queen was, she did a wonderful job, but I'm not a fan of Charles. Many Australians simply caught a glimpse of the pomp and fanfare from their television screens as King Charles III was crowned at Westminster Abbey. However, some Australians travelled to be amongst the rain-drenched crowds, waiting for hours to spot the golden carriage. Yeah, yeah, the vibe is really good here. Um, lots of energy in the crowd. Um, and, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very uh, spectacular moment in history, I think. How long have you been down here waiting? I've been here since 6, 6.30 in the morning. Got up at 3.45 to come here from Cambridge. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely worth it. The coronation was the United Kingdom's biggest ceremonial event in seven decades, gathering more than 100 world leaders and tens of thousands of eager spectators who flocked to the streets of London. But the crowds didn't just invite supporters. Hundreds of yellow-clad demonstrators lined the procession route in central London to stand out from those clad in red, white and blue and hold up signs saying, Not My King. Police arrested the leader of the anti-monarchy group Republic and 51 others, saying their duty to prevent disruption outweighed the right to protest. Protester Harry Stratton thought otherwise. A bunch of our organisers arrived this morning with placards. Uh, It's a completely peaceful demonstration. Uh, The police, without telling us why, without telling us where they're taking them, have arrested um, all of our lead organisers. They've seized all our placards. Um, It feels like something out of a police state because we still don't know why anyone's been arrested and we still don't know where they're taking our people. Britain's meant to be a democracy, but Charles isn't treating it like one. The sentiment back home was similarly divided. Some Australians were captured by the historic event. Queensland's remote town of Quilpie hosted a big celebration, which Councillor Lynn Barnes says honours the new king. I think it's the fact that Quilpie just likes to be part of a party, and this is a global party. Everybody in the world is celebrating the coronation of the king, and we have every right to because he's our king. And um, I I just think it's a a wonderful opportunity for the community to come together, and um, hopefully Charlie will hear that we have done this for him. Others insist it's time Australia becomes a republic. First Nations people from 12 former colonies have signed a letter calling on the new king to acknowledge the ongoing impacts of colonisation. Wiradjuri woman and lawyer Taylor Gray is among the signatories. We currently have at least 32,000 sacred items currently held across 43 UK institutions, important objects, significant items and even our bodies. We are calling for a referendum to be to become an independent nation, an independent country, to have our own head of state away from the British monarch. We are calling on King Charles III to come to Australia. We are demanding a formal apology for the effects of colonialism on Indigenous people and enslaved people. In fact, the Republican movement of Australia feels that the Queen's death could signal time for change. 
Chair of the Republican movement Craig Foster says he hopes this coronation is the last where an Australian leader pledges allegiance to a monarch. What this week has really highlighted to Australia is that we don't own our own country. That's the most important point here. We haven't inherited our own country. And therefore, you know, we still have our sovereignty resting in a foreign king who sits abroad and he's the king of 14 other realms, including us. (laughs) And therefore, our head of state is supposed to embody the democratic uh, sovereignty of the Australian people. So we still have not inherited our own country after 122 years. Mr Foster says becoming a republic would reflect the enormous change Australia has undergone in the past 25 years. More importantly, he says, Australia's multicultural and Indigenous history is deeply at odds with the monarchy's colonial roots. And the fact that we have this deeply discriminatory institution still at the head of our nation, which discriminates against all faiths, which discriminates against every Australian, um, you know, is really quite incredible in 2023. It's that that we need to change because we need a commitment to each other. We want to have a a national conversation about who are we? How do we really bring to life our multiculturalism? What is our commitment to each other across all of our beautiful cultural backgrounds and ancestries? And how can we strengthen our democracy to finally inherit our own country and govern ourselves? Monarchists still see value in the King's solemn and religious oath to serve. National Chair of the Australian Monarchist League, Philip Benwell, says it's more about the constitution than the specific monarch. There has not been a constitutional crisis that we have had to face. Uh, The uh, people haven't been up in arms about something to do with the constitution. The constitution has always been there ticking in the background, protecting our democracy, and it's done an extremely good job. To those who argue the irrelevance of the monarchy, Mr Benwell says the system serves as a vital counter to political influence. The the king appointing the Governor-General, nominated by the Prime Minister, means that the allegiance of the Governor-General is moved away from the Prime Minister to the Crown and through the Crown to the people. And that's important because he cannot be dictated to by the Prime Minister. He has to receive instructions from the Prime Minister. But if he believes that those instructions are contrary to the Constitution or even contrary to the wishes of the people, then he will step in. There's a lot that is done behind closed doors that are never publicised. But Mr Foster sees Governor-General communication behind closed doors as more of a threat to democracy. Uh, Scott Morrison was signed into five secret ministries by the Governor-General, who did not record that extremely serious matter, that extremely serious uh, uh, step, which is contrary to all of our political conventions. He did not even record that in his diary. And so it was hidden uh, that the Prime Minister was now in control of five ministries, something that the Australian people uh, have a right to understand and to be a party to. For Australians taking part in the ceremony, it's a symbol of history and patriotism. Squadron leader Mitchell Brown led Australia's Federation Guard in the marching ceremony. My favourite part was uh, when we were walking up the mall to... um, pre-positioned for the march 
um, the king was coronated at that time and there was a gun salute and then everybody uh, said, God save the king. It was a really special moment for me. Other Australians weren't as fussed about the event, some opting to watch the football instead. Um, I watched soccer. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. To be honest, I feel like I'm not that fussed about the coronation. I think it's more of an older generation thing. I think the younger kids growing up today don't really care about the royals and we don't really like Prince Charles, to be honest. Katrina Stewart, SBS News. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Coming up next, our selection of stories shared from NITV's NOLA program. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. The Northern Territory government has given the green light to full-scale onshore gas production in the Betaloo Basin. In giving fracking the go-ahead, the territory government has promised traditional owners a seat at the table and the power to halt projects on their land. Michael Park reports. Five years ago, the Northern Territory government lifted a ban on fracking in the Beetaloo Basin, 500 kilometres southeast of Darwin. While exploration has continued, full-scale production across the 28,000 square kilometre region has been on hold until now. Now is the time for the Northern Territory to provide the energy that the world needs. A 2018 scientific inquiry found environmental risks associated with fracking could be managed if all of its 135 recommendations were implemented. The government says it's done that. Ensuring greater transparency and accountability and ensuring that traditional owners, Aboriginal people, have a seat at the table. The government says that seat at the table will give Aboriginal traditional owners the power of veto over fracking operations on their land. If you are operating on native title or Aboriginal land and if you do not get agreement with those traditional owners, your projects are not going to succeed. But traditional owners opposed to fracking remain deeply sceptical. Native title holders only have this right at the expiration stage, not the production stage. Fracking has divided the Territory for years. Widespread protests, legal challenges and the Labor government's own rank-and-file party members have all opposed the industry. Please stop what you are doing until we are properly consulted about the high impact of hydraulic fracturing and the damage it will do to our country. Gas companies are expected to apply for production licences next year. Michael Park, NITV News. And another story from uh, NITV. Well, protesters say the fight is far from over to protect a site in Queensland's southeast after police and property developers bulldozed their makeshift homes in the early hours of last Tuesday morning. The dispute over the land has been raging for years, with protesters claiming it's the site of a colonial-era massacre and should be preserved. Tanisha Williams reports. With bulldozers gone, mob were left searching through the debris for anything worth salvaging. Complete destruction. This place looks like a hurricane's hit it. Over the past three years, 
The protesters had built multiple makeshift homes, a common area, a kitchen and garden at the site at Deebing Creek. That's all now gone after property developers A.V. Jennings ordered their removal to commence a multi-million dollar housing development. The company says the project have been given all required approvals with support from some traditional owners. They've taken down Malaluka Ebiana, really, really sacred trees that are protected. There's only four forests in Queensland alone. We've got one of the largest ones here. Waking up this morning, the protesters who claim the land is a massacre site and should be preserved are still in shock. Anger, sadness, it's just it's really heartbreaking. Just a few months ago, Ipswich City Council had referred the matter back to the state government to review, flagging multiple matters of concern. In a statement issued today, Council said it had no involvement in yesterday's raid by Queensland Police and A.V. Jennings. It, it's beyond me how it's gotten to this kind of level of absurdity. You know, like, it's just a three-way pass the blame. You know, the, the federal hides behind local, local hides behind state, state hides behind the federal. The protesters say they'll be taking legal action with the fight far from over. It pushes us into a position where we've got to, we've got to move into like a procession of, of a legal avenue. We've got to proceed with legal proceedings. Tanisha Williams, NITV News. Traditional custodians in southeast Queensland are urging authorities to close a hiking trail on a culturally significant mountain along the state's Sunshine Coast. They say it's time to close the climb on Mount Birwa in the Glasshouse Mountains after a woman died there earlier this year. Tanisha Williams again. A sacred mountain called Grandmother by the Yinnabara people. This is a woman's place. It's a woman's space. There's um, probably things that I shouldn't talk about, so I won't talk about them because of the cultural protocols and the values that relate around that. It's just a special place. For the past few months, Auntie Zetha and her son BJ have gathered at the foot of the mountain in protest, educating people on the cultural significance of Mount Biwa and the dangers of climbing. We feel that inner responsibility on ourselves when someone goes up there and gets stuck. I sort of explain it to my son, like, you know, you'd sit on Dad's shoulders or Grandma's shoulders, but you wouldn't stand up on my head, you know? Yes. He's like, no, no. According to Queensland Parks and Wildlife Service, there were 146 rescues in 2022. So far this year, there's been more than 40 and multiple deaths throughout the years. In March, a 28-year-old woman died trying to save another hiker. How many lives do we have to lose, you know, until we close the climb and look after everyone and country? The Inabara people are urging the same respect be given as Uluru, where climbing is banned. Instead, traditional custodians want people to appreciate Mount Biwa's beauty from a distance. There is so much beauty in just looking and thinking and imagining. She doesn't want people climbing her. 
I mean, she states that in the way that people fall off her. Saving lives by protecting country. Tanisha Williams, NITV News. And now another story shared uh, from uh, NITV. It's about uh, Pat Farmer, a former MP and uh, ultramarathon runner. He caught up with NITV as he embarked on a 14,500-kilometre run supporting Indigenous voice uh, to Parliament. Pat Farmer is a 61-year-old ultramarathon runner, motivation speaker and a former MP. He set to run nearly 15,000 kilometres in support of the Voice to Parliament. Pat spoke to NITV about his plans. So I'm here in Hobart to take off on a journey that will take me right around Australia. Uh, this is a run that will cover 14,500 kilometres. It's run for the Voice, to support the Voice referendum and to support the Yes vote to try and help all Australians know and understand the importance of this referendum uh, and to encourage them to get behind that in a very practical way. So we're very, very fortunate that uh, at, at this point in time, it's up to the people. It's a people's vote, not a politician's vote. So it's up to the people to get educated and to know and understand what this referendum's really all about, and that's about equality for all Australians. But has done ultramarathons so runs that are longer than 42 kilometres in the past. But this one is special to him. This is more important to me than anything I've ever done before, purely and simply for the fact that with this particular run, we're going to change history. We're going to make sure that from this point on, the Indigenous people of Australia have a voice directly to Parliament to be able to change the outcomes for them as far as health is concerned, as far as housing is concerned, as far as infrastructure is concerned, all of these, all of these things that we naturally take for granted uh, will be able to alleviate their lives and help them to move on up to catch up to the rest of the population here in Australia so that there is a quality right across the board. And you know what, it wasn't that many years ago that we turned around and we said sorry to the stolen generation uh, and it made a huge difference to the healing process uh, between Indigenous people and other Australians. And so now we're all, we all need to fall under the one roof. The ultramarathon runner will cover nearly 15,000 kilometres, starting off in Hobart. This run will take me from Hobart Town Hall, where I'll be seen off by the Prime Minister of Australia, the Lord Mayor of Hobart City Council and the State Premier. And from here I will run out to New Norfolk and from there across to Queenstown. From, from Queenstown I'll head on up towards Burnie, Penguin, Alveston and then back around, to, uh, back around to Launceston and from Launceston head straight back down to Hobart. And from there myself and my crew will fly across to Perth for our, to begin our journey on the mainland. After I hit Perth, I'll continue on up towards Broome, uh, the far northern western side of Australia, and from there across from Broome to Darwin, from Darwin back down to back, back down to Brisbane, from Brisbane to Sydney, Sydney to Canberra, from Canberra to Melbourne, Melbourne to Adelaide, and from there I will run up through the centre of Australia and finish at the spiritual heart of Australia, Uluru. On his run but will encounter a lot of Indigenous communities. And he told NITV he was really excited about that. 
I'm really looking forward to engaging with the Indigenous people, not only on the mainland, but also I've been requested now to go across to the Tiwi Islands, so that will include Melville and Bathurst Island, and also Thursday Island. I've been to these places before, I've been to many of these Indigenous communities before and other runs that I've done, and I've seen firsthand the need and the concern in those communities. So to be out there and supporting these people will be a wonderful thing. I can't wait to run side by side with the kids from the schools and the kids in the communities running on into those communities and showing my support for a voice directly to Parliament. The run is a thread to bring all Australians together. Like everything I've ever done, it's not about me, it's not about the distances I'm covering, although they are incredibly significant. Um, it's about me being a thread to bring people together and being a conduit to open up conversations between people in various communities, to ask the questions, to uh, get the answers that they're looking for so that they can make an informed decision come referendum day. So that's the most important thing. So not only will I be running close to two marathons a day every single day um, for 191 days around this country, but I'll also be speaking at public functions almost every evening, at mayoral receptions, rotary clubs, lions, um, you name it, schools, universities, anywhere where they will have me and host myself and my crew, we will be there to speak. But Turner is not happy with the position of the government on the voice to parliament. I have to say I'm incredibly disappointed at the narrow-mindedness of both the National Party and and the Liberal Party in this regard. The National Party for coming out so very early in the piece, before all the facts were out there and all the information was out there and saying that they were just against the voice and that was all there was to it. And then to have the Liberal Party do exactly the same is, is incredibly disappointing because I think that they need to understand the concerns of the Australian people and how this will bring us all together under one umbrella instead of having a divisive society the way it has been for the last 200 years. It's interesting to note that the leader of the opposition was was feeling remorse over the fact that he wasn't involved in the sorry in, in saying sorry uh, all those years ago when Kevin Rudd ended up winning the election in 2017. The first thing that he did, and Brendan Nelson, leader of the coalition, was to say sorry to the Indigenous people of this country. And in doing so, the sky didn't fall in. It wasn't the end of the world. It didn't cost the country billions of dollars in compensation. It didn't change anything, but it went a long way towards the healing process. And I believe that that same scaremongering is going on with this particular campaign. And it's most important that we reflect on the past and we realise that it's only going to make a difference to the, the welfare of these people in these communities for the better, not for the worse, and for the better of all Australians. And I think as a nation, we are much more mature now than we've ever been. Running nearly 80 kilometers a day on average for the next six months will be hard, no doubt. Is Pat ready? Look, I have to be honest with you. I'm 61 years old now. and The old days when I first started off running ultramarathons, I was seen as the youngest person in that field. I was 18 when Cliff Young was 63 and he was running the Sydney to Melbourne races. Uh, now I find myself at this age, it's, it's a daunting fact to think that I'm taking on uh, something as enormous as this. But I've run all the way through my life over the last 35 to 40 years. 
And so I feel that I'm up to the task, but I'm not taking it for granted. This will be probably one of the toughest things I've ever done because of my age, because of the, the time that is spent by it. But it's also the most significant thing I've ever done. So I'll call on all of that experience from the past and just try and be the best I can. I can't see myself ever doing anything more significant than this. And so, yeah, I truly believe that this, is, this will probably be the last major run I ever do. And if that's the case, then I want to make sure that it's a success. It is possible to join Pat on his run. And of course, it doesn't have to be the whole 80 kilometers a day. Well, this is fantastic because, as I mentioned earlier on, I'm, I'm the thread trying to pull this whole country together, all the states and territories, just like I did with the Centenary of Federation run uh, 20 years ago. So now what I'm doing is I'm encouraging people to go to my website, runforthevoice.com, and they'll be able to follow me every single step of the way. They'll be able to see through a tracker exactly where I am each day and each night They'll be able to come along and join in and they can register to run with me. So I don't care if they've never run before. If they can run one step, one kilometre, five kilometres, ten kilometres. In fact, the treasurer of Australia is going to run, has promised to run 20 kilometres with me when I come down through the Gold Coast. So if we can get politicians to run, we can get anyone to run. <laughs> There's a lot of support from the sporting networks right around the country, and I mean, you know, elite sports, the, the whole lot. So um, we're very, very fortunate to have elite sports men and women from all walks of life, uh, whether it be hockey, whether it be the, the jack jumpers, um, basketball team, whether it be rugby league, NFL, ARL, table tennis. There are sports champions, Olympic champions that will be coming out and running with me. And I'm encouraging every single person just to show their support in a way of action rather than just words. And to come and, like I said, join in. Come along, get a selfie, run with me, talk about it, influence your friends and your, your family, and um, let's get this job done. But Turner is not indigenous. But he says it is very important also for non-indigenous Australians to support the voice. Look, I really honestly believe it's important for all Australians to, to stand up and be counted on this issue because this is not just about Indigenous people. This is about equal rights for all Australians. And it's about making sure that all Australians are seen on the world stage as that, that caring, uh, complete nation that we all like to think that we are. Um, we've got 60,000 years of heritage to adopt rather than 200 years of heritage. This gives us a point of difference between ourselves and the rest of the world. It's something that we should all be proud of. And I think, as I keep saying, that Australians have matured now to be able to know and understand how vitally important it is that we all have a say directly to Parliament, that we all have a voice to Parliament. And the system that's been in place for the last 200 years hasn't worked for that minority group. And unfortunately, sadly, it is a minority group in this country, even though they were the First Nations people. They are a small minority and they need a voice directly to Parliament so that they can be brought up to speed. So it's important for anybody that cares about the welfare of this nation, the prestige of this nation and moving forward as one nation that we support the voice. That was ultramarathon runner Pat Farmer former MP who is running across and around Australia in support of the proposal of an Indigenous voice to Parliament. 
visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Part of my story was uh, first uh, aired uh, on uh, NITV a couple of weeks ago and it was uh, adapted for radio by NITV Radio's uh, Sharka Pekova. And uh, that's all we have for NITV Radio this uh, Monday afternoon. But before we part, uh, don't forget to check out our social media platform, Facebook in particular, and also visit our website sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. I am Bertrand Tungandami, thanking you for your company this afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu.